Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Jackie Maguire. Jackie is a registered clinical psychologist. Her professional career has been anchored in corporate well-being, where she managed a national company of clinical psychologists who provided well-being and mental health support across the public and private sectors. Jackie has a real passion for science communication, providing practical psychological theory and strategies to optimise personal well-being, work and relationships. She's one of New Zealand's prominent mental health and well-being thought leaders and is TVNZ's go-to psychologist and a regular contributor to Stuff, New Zealand Herald, Radio New Zealand, and News Talk ZB. She also has a podcast called Mindbrew, which I've personally actually really enjoyed listening to, where she's interviewed some of the world's leading psychologists like Adam Grant and Angela Duckworth. Ultimately, Jackie aims to deliver practical psychology with warmth, humility, and a bit of humour too. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about her career journey today. Kia ora, Jackie, and thank you very much for joining me. Anna, Anna, thank you so much for having me on this. I've got a bit of imposter syndrome. Don't know if I'm worthy enough to be on this podcast, Anna. <laughs> it's interesting. It's what a lot of people say when they start off. When I send them the invitation, they say, I'm not sure if actually, I've seen all the other women. I'm not sure if I, I live up to that, but I certainly think you do. So I'm looking forward to hearing about your career. I'd like to start a wee bit back, if I may, Jackie. When you were a child, what careers did you dream about or aspire to? My first career that I wanted to do was to be an air hostess. And my uncle, a highly educated man, turned to me at the age of five and said, you will not be a trolley dolly in the air, Jackie. You will have a career far more ambitious than that. I have a really clear memory of that, actually. So my, my initial want was to be an air hostess, firmly squashed by the family. I then uh, had a real affiliation with animals and thought I wanted to be a vet. That was my probably primary school years. And then from probably college onwards, I was determined to be a doctor. I was raised in a household, Anna, with a psychologist and a social worker as parents. And I was determined to never enter the field of mental health. I absolutely didn't want to join the family business and really had my heart set on being a medical doctor. So I left school and I went to Otago and joined the health science route like many people do and I missed out on med school by 1% after my first year and it was like the first time in my life I hadn't got what I'd worked hard for. It was a real uh, watershed moment for me actually then going oh my gosh what do I do you know this is something that I've wanted and focused on and worked hard for and it's now out of my control I can't have it. So I then thought what next what do I do and I had to sit and stop and reflect on why did I want to be a doctor and my 21 year old response to myself was I wanted to be a doctor because I love people and I like connecting with people and I wanted to help. 
And ironically enough, Anna, where did that lead me? That led me into a psychology seminar. And the rest is history, as you would say. How interesting. And sometimes things happen that are out of our control that mean we end up following a different path. And more often than not, actually, those still turn out to be great. What is it about psychology then that really interests you? For me, I'm a bit of a funny psychologist because most people probably think of psychologists as sitting in a therapy room one-on-one. And throughout my clinical psychology training, which is the postgraduate component of psychology, it's highly competitive to get into. They only train 10 students per year at each university. They think they get over 100 applicant course. It's very privileged to be part of that clinical program. And I spent most of my time in that three-year postgraduate degree going, I don't think this is for me. You know, I've always had a passion for business. I've had a passion for presenting. When I left school, I tossed up whether I'd go to journalism school or go to university. And it was a chemistry teacher of mine that told me to go to university, not journalism school. And, you know, I've had these other aspects of my life that I've enjoyed, like presenting and speaking and entrepreneurship and that standardized route of psychology, which people might think of never really sat with me in terms of what was going to fill my passions. You know, I've been very lucky that I've been able to engineer a career that's combined some of my passions together. And so for my psychology work life now, what I really enjoy is I'm a, I'm a geek. I love to research. I love learning new things. I always have. So being up to date on the wellbeing literature is really important to me. And then being able to translate that into easy to understand theory, tools, strategies, techniques for people to help them live their best life is what really gets me going. And also I am very aware in this country, there is a large gap for where people can access support. Uh, Unfortunately, our our, district health boards, our government funded agencies are very stretched and under-resourced. Not everybody has uh, the finances to get themselves to private practice if they're wanting to see a clinician and even then the wait lists are long. And, you know, I really get driven by I've got a unique skill set, I think, to help many New Zealanders that might be in a place where they can use that research, that geek knowledge, those strategies to make a real difference in their day-to-day life. And really interesting for me, as you say, the the perception particularly of clinical psychology is that one-to-one piece. And you've then gone, you know, I have these other skills. I'm going to go one-to-many and help people access some of these strategies, techniques, tools that are going to help them with their mental health and their well-being, as you say, work or in life. And it sort of strikes me that sometimes people have more of those epiphanies at a little bit of a later stage in their career. They put their head down, they pursue the career that they've studied for a number of years before coming a bit more to that realisation maybe a little bit later. Now, you had that fairly early. I'd love to hear more about those early years of your career. What were some of the highlights and challenges there? Yeah, I've, I've always been one to stick my head above the parapet and to go, again, go against the flow. I think that's in my DNA maybe. My early years, I finished my clinical psych training. I topped my class. That was a lovely time for my parents and the teachers to all celebrate on my achievement through my clinical training. And then I went and sold houses. 
So I went and became a real estate agent and I shocked the clinical world. The jaws hit the floor of many of the academics that had taught me. I think probably I could say that, was it shame? I don't know if it was shame, but there was great disappointment from many in, in the field. I remember the examiner, and to become a clinical psychologist, you go through uh, two weeks worth of examination at the end of your last year where you are put through your paces by a panel of three psychologists, three clinical psychologists. And one of those clinical psychs who had been on my panel took me out for coffee and was like, what are you doing, Jackie? How do we get you back in the field? You can't go off and and not use your skill. And so I think it was a real shock. I'm not sure if anyone had bucked the trend like that before. So, you know, my first year out of training, I went and sold real estate and learnt about the business world and I was raised in a very red household in terms of social justice policies and business and entrepreneurship wasn't something I'd grown up with. So from that perspective, I actually learnt a lot in that time. I then met met my husband at the end of that 12 months and decided that being on call all the time and working in a career where people assumed you're dodgy rather than a psychologist where everyone presumes you're ethical didn't quite suit me. And so I was offered a position at that stage by Gaynor Parkin, who was my uh, lecturer at university. She was part of the clinical program and she owned a business that worked with organisations, that worked with corporates. And she offered me to come and support, come and help them with their marketing, come and help her behind the scenes. And so on a very part-time basis, I started working with her and her business uh, whilst I was doing some clinical work at a youth one-stop shop with teenagers. So I for two or so years split my time between uh, working with organizations in a contracting capacity and working in this youth one-stop shop as a proper one-on-one therapy clinician. And that role in the corporate business for me grew very quickly. It was a bit of a sink or swim. I went from doing the the behind-the-scenes marketing to leading workshops, liaising with CEs, designing trainings very quickly. It was a rapid-paced learning for me in terms of growing my skill set, not only from that uh, clinical facilitator perspective, but also really in running a business of clinicians. And it was probably a sink or swim environment and found myself in some situations where I was you know, often at the boardroom table with people that were my parents' age going, what are they going to think of me? And is anyone even going to listen to me? And so my early years were challenging, amazingly rich in experience, but challenging in terms of really having to overcome my internal inner critic that I was too young, too inexperienced, and people wouldn't listen. And so a lot of my journey really growing that role, becoming a managing director of clinicians that were all my senior, starting to grow a public profile in this area, was to develop my own inner confidence and to start to have some trust that actually people were taking me seriously and, you know, I was adding value to others. Mm, And you talked at the start about that kind of imposter syndrome and then that coming in, oh, people might not listen to me, I'm too young, too inexperienced. Over time, being able to manage some of that inner critic, what's worked for you personally to manage some of those voices of doubt? Oh, I think I've done a lot of personal therapy, Anna, which <laughs> is good as a psychologist to be able to admit that. But I think it is, it's about acceptance, I think, and self-compassion and probably reinforcement over time. Anna, you know, I've now been doing this for many years and in the role I'm working in, I actually get opportunity for pretty regular feedback. Many people don't get 
or don't work in a way where every week they're offered feedback from the public or feedback from individuals. And I was working in a role where I was facilitating to organisations and every single thing I do was critiqued. I was written feedback reports every single time I presented. And so I think it was probably a data collection for me, Anna, that over years, starting to read consistent feedback or have that sent into me starts to settle in. So I think it's that combined feedback is really important where you can seek it. Um, It's really important if you're a leader to give other people feedback because it's so important, I think, in helping people collect their own positive data on how they're going. But also, I think, really working with some of those unhelpful inner thoughts that you have. And from my perspective, our inner critics come, you know, they're historic, they develop in our lives and the things that happen to us build them up. So it is about processing that and rewiring your brain to think differently about yourself. And I like that kind of looking for the some of the positives in the feedback and using that to build up your view, but also doing some of the internal work. And my own experience is that kind of inner critic shows up for me most often when I'm doing something that kind of pushes me out of my comfort zone or, or really stretches me in a way that I haven't been stretched before. And so those are the times that we're trying to keep you back in your safe box. But actually, those are the times when you need to have a bit more courage and listen a bit more to that comforting voice and reflect on some of the, the positive feedback that maybe you've had in the past. Absolutely. And I think also, Annie, you know, in terms of that, you know, I'm too young or people won't listen to me, that if I'm thinking that going into a meeting, that's probably what I'm projecting. And I think over time I learned that, that actually I'm the only person in the room probably that's got this thought. Or maybe if other people have got that thought, actually I have to trust that in time my knowledge and my skill outshine the age. And, you know, I remember running a workshop with an executive team once. They were all male. They were all probably my dad's age. So I was the only female and a young female in the room. They were executives that did not want to be in wellbeing training with me. They had, you know, I was probably the bottom of the list in terms of where they wanted to be spending their time. And at the end of these two sessions that I had with this group, where I basically scrapped the material and I designed training for them live in response to what was going on for them, one of the execs turned around to me and said, Jackie, when you walked in this room, I thought, who are you and why would I be listening to you? And he said, you made an apology about, you know, I must have said something about my age or I don't know, I must have introed myself in some way. And he said, I wish you'd never done that because you don't need to. You've got merit on your own. And that's a memory that's really stuck with me that someone might have an initial thought, but actually back yourself, do what you can and it's their problem if they don't change their view or not, but most often they do, you know, if your skill shines through. And a great example to a kind of valuable constructive feedback that you can do something with. But I like also that sense that you talked about, actually, if you're thinking that, probably you having those doubts about yourself, that probably comes in the way that you can come mm. across. And it's almost flipping that around. Actually, if you try and come across as a bit more confident in your stuff, actually, it probably will help to quieten the doubts as, as well as you go. Yeah. And what was the journey then to now? I believe you run your own business. Well, yeah, I just, I had my baby girl in August last year. The organisation I'd been a part of was acquired in June. Orla was born in August and, you know, I had dedicated uh, a number of years to that business and, you know, loved it really as if it was my own, gave my time and soul to it and it had grown amazingly and was now in this position where, 
it had been acquired and I kind of saw that as it's had its own rebirth stage and this business now it's got its own new life path ahead and so for me it was a kind of natural sense of time in terms of you know I'm going to now go and be mum I'd worked hard I sometimes didn't listen to all my own advice so I was pretty burnt out by the time I went on parental leave as I think often many of us are we know the theory and we're really good at helping other people and sometimes we're not so good at practicing it ourselves and I remember being on parental leave before Ola was born and speaking to the woman in the dry cleaners and I walked out of the shop going that's the first time in five years I've had energy to talk to somebody that's not in a work setting. Like I've had been, I have been so tired and so drained from work that really I was often not present or I was irritable or not myself. And it was just this light bulb moment of, oh my God, I really enjoyed that conversation. <laughs> you know, I, I enjoyed, you know, the kind of benign chat about the weather and small talk. And I haven't had oomph to do that in a long time. And I made this pact with myself that I was never going to get myself into that position again, that I was becoming a mum. And funnily enough, when you've got another human being to look after, it gives you some more ammo, I think, to really keep your well-being in check because you're not just doing it for yourself anymore. And so my plan was actually just to be fully on parental leave for 12 months. I managed that for six, Anna. So for six months, I was at home doing nothing. For me, doing nothing as I was thinking about books I was going to write, etc. But I wasn't doing proper work. And then COVID-19 happened. And I read some research around the impact of quarantine and isolation on our mental health that had come out of the UK. No one had reported on it here in New Zealand. So I wrote one article for the paper. And I thought, you know, that will be my contribution for covid And it was like the world went, ah, Jackie's back. So my one article in it turned into 10 to 12 media requests a day during that initial kind of lockdown of COVID. And from there, really, it hasn't stopped, Anna. So, yep, currently now I'm self-employed. I spend my time speaking for organisations, so keynote speaking, creating my podcast. I've written a children's book, which is in its final stages of publication around how to support young people with unexpected change. So it was inspired by COVID, but it's a generalist book for any change and doing kind of other bits of random consulting work. And I've structured that in a way now where I mum first and work comes second. So I work on days where my little girl's with her nanny a few mornings a week and I work during her nap times and that's how I've structured it. So I feel very blessed actually that I'm in a place now where I'm getting paid to do what I love and mostly not getting paid to do what I love uh, and being able to do that at the same time as being mum. But we talked about, oh, I spent six months doing nothing. I think anybody, you know, I've had three kids. I know for myself that first six months is not exactly a holiday. In fact, it's pretty exhausting and brutal. That made me giggle, I have to say, when you said that. And what do you really love now about your current work? What do I really love? I love the variety in it. So being able to keynote speak on a wide range of topics keeps that geek brain of mine interested. I am researching all the time and I really enjoy that. And I think for me, I get great energy really and satisfaction out of those high impact keynotes or short talks. You know, I really like knowing that I have crafted an impactful 
you know, 60-minute presentation that hits the mark, that gets people thinking, and it's provided people real skill to walk away with an action. I was really interested, Jackie, you, when I was reading through your bio and preparing for the podcast, you talked about being a thought leader, about being an expert. And my experience with women is that they often hesitate to use those terms about themselves, that they think, oh, I can't call myself an expert, I need to have a PhD or I need more years of experience or that just doesn't sit well with me. I wondered if you'd gone in any kind of journey when you were thinking through, okay, I am a thought leader and expert and now I'm going to call myself as such. I think it is someone else wrote that about me once and because someone else has written it about me, I've just used those words and gone with it. But I think that's true. I think often as women, we're not so good at backing ourselves but often we've got just as good or good as, if not better, skills than other people in the room sometimes. And so, yeah, I, I probably have to admit that I wasn't the first one to write those words about myself. But if I sit and reflect on what I offer to New Zealand and what I contribute, I'm the only female psychologist that regularly speaks in the media or regularly contributes outside of their professional role. The media work, the podcasts, the writing any of that contributory work for me is voluntary and I love it and I'm the only female that does it. And I think that's really interesting in a career that's female heavy. There are far more women clinicians than there are men in this country, yet we are the women voices. And so, yeah, I think that is something I'm proud of and I think I do have expertise in that world of bringing clinical psychology together with workplace organisational mental health and well-being. There's lots of organisational psychologists that work in that space. There's not many clinical psychologists that do and you know our clinical training does bring a different lens to that, teaches us how to formulate, to assess, to use evidence-based practice to see change. That's something I'm very hot on. The media knows that I will never ever comment on something that doesn't have an evidence base behind it. I don't believe in that. So I suppose from that perspective, I hope that I do bring something different to what I contribute in my work. And there's a few interesting things in there. First, I, I have an occupational psychology background, and but the, the benefit, particularly at this period of time, of having that clinical psychology background, being able to talk with authority and expertise around mental health and wellbeing, this year has been invaluable, I'm sure. But also there's some research that's come out, and I don't know if you've seen it quite recently, about the contributors from a media perspective around COVID and actually how the vast majority of those have been male on everything from economics to health. And so actually great to have, and whereas actually in New Zealand, I think there's been a bit more balance. There's been some fantastic female contributors in the media, which has been really good to see. And I was interested, you've talked a bit about perhaps some of the tough times being when you came to that point, you realised, look, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted, I'm pretty burnt out. What have been some of the other toughest career challenges or moments for you? I think feeling lost, Anna, for me, has been a big challenge in those early days. Going through my training, working out what I wanted to do. There are categories in which, or designated pathways, which are the normal to go down. So most clinical psychs, Anna, will go and do their training. They'll enter the DHB. They'll, they'll earn their stripes in the DHB. And then potentially they'll go into private practice. And that's like the accepted from the profession route that you will go down. And I knew at my core, I did not want to spend my career doing that. But then going, well, how do I do it differently? How do I use my skills and my interest areas and find a way of working 
that floats my boat, that gives me satisfaction, that enables me to contribute. And I really didn't know. And I felt very lost in that time. And it took a great amount of reflecting and talking and tours. And I've had wonderful mentors along the way that have have really backed me, believed in me, supported me. So I think probably the other biggest challenge is that finding clarity for yourself and processing that that stuckness, that lostness and believing in yourself that you can find a pathway forward that does suit your needs, even if it's not the norm or even if it hasn't been created before. So I'd say that probably is the other largest challenge. You know, I think also in my, my time that I spent in more traditional health services, district health boards or or, or mental health teams. I am somebody that that speaks up when I <laughs> when I have a view, or if I think things could be done better, or if I think we could be servicing our, our our clients better. And I'm always driven by the person we're trying to support, or the people we're trying to support. I have huge value in helping others. It's really important to me. And I really struggled working for big systems where. The term is it's a machine. It takes lots of parts to turn. Change is slow. And even if your opinion is valid, it might not hold the weight to see change. And so for me personally, I found that very difficult. Probably why I've ended up working for myself. Mm, That's that's exactly what was going through my head. I was thinking, actually, it's one of the, the benefits of working for yourself is that you can change, you can shift, you can do more of the work that you enjoy, that you feel passionate about. At the same time, working for yourself is is not easy as well. There's the potentially the pressure to build a business. It can in itself be a little bit lonely. How have you found running your own business? I think women starting their own business, there are worries associated with that. And I'm not exempt of that. My worry is, well, if I go and have a second baby and I get work because I'm publicly present and I speak in the media often and people hear me and they read my words, well, if I go and disappear and have another baby, will I become irrelevant? So I'm not devoid of the worries I think other people have. And I think that's still the tricky bit of being female, isn't it? If we take pauses in our career, if we go and do other things, how do we ensure we stay relevant through that? They're my current thoughts, Santa, that I'm having around how how will I navigate that in the future? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I haven't. And it's not an easy one. And I think about it for myself. It's sometimes just taking a step back and remembering a career is 40 or 45 years. And so six or 12 months in the course of that long career actually doesn't doesn't actually make it make a big difference. That's what's helped me personally through through those three pauses when I had kids. Yeah. Where do you see your career heading in the future? Anna, I really don't know, which probably isn't the answer you want for your podcast, but I am actually not sure I have the answer to that. All I know is that I'm trying to focus on the present, that I'm trying to channel my energy into the things that I really get joy from and that I know have an impact. I hope to continue to keep my speaking work up. Let's see how this book goes. Let's see how it lands. It's a whole new world for me. I wrote a book thinking I've got the knowledge to help write a cool kids book and man, it's a bigger process than I could have ever imagined. You know, let's see how that lands and if it goes well, I could envision that's something I would want to do more of. I've heavily enjoyed the podcast experience because I have been able to speak to such amazing people and I have been overwhelmed at 
the eagerness of reaching out to others and them accepting. Adam Grant blew me away that this, you know, multi-award winning New York Times writer would talk to this psychologist in New Zealand. I hope to keep that going because the feedback has been really positive and I think it's using technology and using the way that people are getting information now to get good psychology into the hands of people. Now, I suppose, Anna, I don't have the answer, but I know what my values are. I know what my passions are, which is how do I keep getting evidence-based information into the hands of Kiwis so we can really support people to thrive and flourish? And I will continue to just make decisions from that perspective. And when I, having done quite a number of these podcasts now and speaking to women, actually very many of them don't really know where their careers might head, but actually they've often got that strong kind of, okay, well, these are the things that I'm passionate about. These are where my values are. So I'll see where that leads me without needing to have a carefully thought through step-by-step, year-by-year plan. And that that feels, that feels okay. And one last question, Jackie, if I may, what career advice would you have for other women? Oh, I think that comes down to giving yourself the time and the space to reflect on you as an individual, what you want your life to look like, what you want your legacy to be. Do you give yourself the time in this busy, overworked, overwhelming world, the VUCA world that we live in, you know, and many women do wear many hats. There are expectations now on us to do so. And women by nature are often the caring of the group, meaning we quite regularly put others in front of ourselves. And I think my career advice, because there'll be people listening to this from every sector, is to ensure you've given yourself time to really get to know your inner core, what, what gets you going, what makes you passionate, what satisfies you, what provides you a whole life And I come from an emotion perspective rather than a cognitive perspective. And the question I ask myself and I ask others is, what do you want to feel like in life? You know, so how do you want to feel on a Friday evening? How do you want to feel in five years time? Now, ask yourself those questions and work backwards. If you want to feel impassioned, balanced, joyful, motivated, whatever that is, start from the emotions and work backwards. Wonderful advice. And I'm now starting to think how I might apply that in my own life as well. <laughs> that Friday night feeling, sitting and reflecting, how do I want to feel and yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful advice. Thank you, Jackie. It's been such a pleasure and thank you very much for your time and for sharing some of your journey. And particularly, I think those, you know, those pieces where, as you said, you felt lost or you took a path that wasn't maybe the normal path that others might conform to and some of the struggles and challenges with that. But what I really love was also you can you can hear your energy and your passion coming through for your topic and the work that you do now, which was just really brilliant. Yeah. Thank you, and I appreciate it. No one's ever had a straightforward path, have they? You know, well, I'm yet to meet someone and, and I haven't, and there's been lots of challenge and struggle along the way, but, um, but life right now is good. And so that I'm going to hold on to. Thanks, Jackie. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.